everybody. Welcome to episode two of the Bardo Holly podcast. This is Hunter Holly along with my partner, Stephen Bardo. And today we have a lot to get into, especially with the NBA restart. Wow, we've had a lot of great games so far. So my first question to you, Stephen, is what was your first um, initial take on the games that happened Thursday night, uh, either the Jazz or Pelicans game or the Lakers and Clippers? Well, I was impressed because both games were it came down to the wire um, and the level of intensity and in play surprised me. I, I thought these guys would be a little bit rusty. I didn't know if they would be as well conditioned as they appear to be. I didn't see a lot of turnovers due to fatigue like I, I expected. Uh, so I was very, very impressed with the skill level um, and the output of energy that all four teams displayed. You knew that the Lakers and Clippers are going to bring it just because they're natural rivals now and considered the two best, two of the three best teams in the league. But I was very impressed. What were your thoughts, Hunter? Um, I was, you know, I was kind of surprised as well, too, to, just to see how well both teams played. I mean, kind of like you said, and most of the turnovers were like simple mistakes. And so I thought their energy was great. Like you said, both games came down to the wire, which made it even fun and mo- more fun. And just the fact that we had two <clears throat> great games to start it out made it even better. Oh, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, the, the Pelicans are going to be interesting, obviously, with Zion and them trying to fight for that eight seed. So I just think it's uh, it's pretty cool, man, to see um, all the different storylines that are emerging now here in the bubble. So it's been fun. Yeah, and, and mentioning about Zion Williamson, how do you think the Pelicans – handled Zion in that game against the Jazz. You know, they had him on the um, minute minute restriction. So how do you think they handled him with that? I think they did well. Um, You know, he's such a unique talent hunter um, that I I think he got enough minutes. He got got loose. You know, he was able to score. He was able to attack the rim. But they're not putting too much on him, obviously, because he left and had a family situation he, he dealt with. So he got back to the bubble a little later than they wanted to, but I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I thought that they handled it well, and I hope that it continues. What What about you? Um, I thought they did a pretty good job, too. I thought maybe they could have put him in for that last play, but, I mean, other than that, I felt like they did the right thing for him. And so, I mean, whatever works for him and the team, I think is the most important thing. And I also think that, they want to make sure that he stays healthy long-term because I think their goal is for him to be there long-term. And, you know, you want a healthy Zion because we all know his past injury history. So you want to have Zion healthy and ready to go for the next few seasons, not just for the restart, but for the next few seasons. I agree. I agree. Um, and So, Hunter, what would you do? Would you – you said that you thought the, the way that they played him was pretty good, but you would have had him in at during that last play. Would you have played him more minutes if you were the head coach? Um, probably a little bit more. I think he played about like 15 minutes, so maybe I may 
pushed it up to maybe 20 or so. So, but okay. I mean, just like a few more minutes, but not like add on an additional 15 minutes. So he's out there playing 30 minutes and hasn't really played much, but probably another maybe five minutes or so. Okay. You, wh- wh- how did you feel like he played? Did you like his effectiveness? Yeah. I thought when he was out on the court, he was effective. He was a threat. And I, he probably wanted to play more, but I definitely think he was effective on both ends of the court. Okay. Okay. Good deal. All right. Now let's talk about that Lakers-Clippers game. Wow. That was a really good game. What was one thing that stood out to you for the Lakers and Clippers game? You know, there was some question whether Anthony Davis was going to play due to an eye injury. And I think it it may have even motivated him a little bit more, in my opinion, Hunter, because he had a monster game along with LeBron. Uh, but AD really sets the tone for the Lakers, I think. Where LeBron is the best player, AD kind of sets the tone offensively. So they run a lot of things through him, around him. And I thought he was aggressive at the beginning of the game, and that really established the Lakers on the offensive end because the Clippers – they're missing two. They're you know they were without Montrez, Harrell, and uh, Lou Williams, two of their stellar uh, players that they definitely missed. But Anthony Davis and the size of the Lakers seemed to really bother the Clippers. So I, I I liked what I saw and I liked how aggressive Anthony Davis was to start. Yeah, you know one thing that stood out for me was how well Paul George played. You know we. We never really got a chance to see a healthy Paul George this season. And during the four-month break, he was able to get both of those shoulders healthy, and he looked really good. I think he had like 34 points and hit, hit some threes. And he was really a big part in the Clippers' comeback and then eventually them taking the lead in the third quarter. So that's one thing that stood out for me. I agree. And, I, you know, I think that a lot of times, Hunter, I think people forget – before his injury, remember when Paul George had that gruesome injury? Mm-hmm. Before that injury, I thought that Paul George was going to be a top three player in the league. I mean, he's got great defensive ability. He's six eight, six nine. He's long. He shoots the three very, very well. He can put it on the deck. He can post up. Uh, there's really nothing he can't do on the court. And I thought before that injury, he was really starting to emerge as a top three player in the league. And so, yes, he's considered a, a better, one of the better players, but I'm not sure he was considered, you know, I'm not sure right now he's considered top three like I thought he was heading to uh, before his injury. So I, I like I like your observation of his play. All right, now let's talk about some games from yesterday. So first we are going to talk about the, Bucks and the Celtics, that game was, you know, another close game came down to the wire. One thing that was important that I saw was how Giannis really played, and he was efficient at 36 points, 15 rebounds, and 7 assists. But on the other hand, Jason Tatum looked uh, a little uh, rusty. Yeah, like 2 for 18 for shooting with 5 points, so how do you think like a player like Jason Tatum can find a way to get back in rhythm? You know, I think that it's, it's interesting because Jason Tatum, uh, 
he kind of his play I thought was going to be the norm as as opposed to the exception. I thought there'd be a lot of people that were rusty, missing jumpers. You know, Tatum got good looks. He he, he wasn't like he was forcing the issue. He got really good looks at the bucket. He just wasn't able to convert. You know, he was a little short here, a little long on this, on on another opportunity. So um, I liked his aggressiveness. I just think that he's the type of player you can tell with his size that he's going to be fine once he gets his rhythm and timing back. Uh, he's going to be fine. Uh, the problem with the, the Boston Celtics is this troublesome knee injury for Kimball Walker. They tried to play him a little bit, and he came he, he kind of wobbled one time, and then he came out of the game and never got back in. So to me, if Kimball Walker is not uh, 100% healthy, that that's really going to damage Boston's chances, in my opinion. What do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely agree. He's he's the ball handling point guard that they really need for that team. And Kemba Walker's job was to replace Kyrie because you know the whole Kyrie thing that didn't go as well as everyone thought it would. And so they let him go. He signed with the Nets and brought in Kemba to be the leader of that team and be the floor general and. When you don't have that, you're definitely going to run into some problems. And then also another great game we saw yesterday was the Memphis Grizzlies and the Portland Trailblazers. Carmelo, mm. Anthony, Car- Carmelo Anthony had some clutch threes. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum played well. And Portland won this game in overtime, 140-135. to 135. How significant was that win for the Portland Trailblazers? Because let's remember, they are trying to get that eight seat too, or at least get into the playing tournament. So how significant was the win for the Trailblazers? I thought it was huge because uh, uh, Nurchich came back. I know his he played in, in spite of his grandmother being in a coma due to co- coronavirus. So he was playing with a heavy heart, but I'm sure he was happy to get back on the court. So his presence was huge. Collins's presence was huge. He played, uh, you know, several high-quality minutes down the stretch. And I think that the Trailblazers were a team, in my opinion, Hunter, when they're healthy, they're a top-four team in the West. It's just that they, they, the injury bug really bit them this year. So the fact that they're back healthy again and they could beat the Grizzlies, the team that they're trying to close in on the eighth spot, was huge. And it brings a lot of intrigue to the overall NBA race here down the stretch that now Memphis is a game closer to Portland and uh, to the Pelicans as well. So, no, that's not right. The Pelicans lost. So they're they're still three and a half back, but I believe Portland's two and a half back of Memphis now. So um, it's going to be fascinating, but I I liked how the Blazers stepped up and they knew they knew they needed that win. They knew how important it was, and they were able to secure it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And for them to be two and a half games back with only seven games, seven more seeding games, I mean, who knows what could happen? Maybe Memphis slips up and Portland finds themselves in that eight seed. I mean, because anything is possible. And then finally, we had another – Great game to close out the night yesterday between the Rockets and the Dallas Mavericks. Another overtime game, a high-scoring game. Final score was 153-149. to James Harden had 49 points in that game. So my question to you, Stephen, is 
how do you think both the Rockets and the Mavericks can improve on the uh during that game? Because definitely wasn't much defense playing the game with such a high scoring game. Well, here's the thing: it, the score would indicate. Hunter, that there wasn't a lot of defense being played, but I watched that game. There was some defense being played. It's just that those are two of the most high-level offensive clubs in the league. And, you know, Porzingis was playing out of his mind. I thought Doncic looked like he got banged up a couple times, but he was his stellar self. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. shot the lights out of the ball. And Trey Burke, made it. he may have had a career night in terms of I think he was six of seven from three or seven of eight from three or something like that. So it was just a, it was a high level offensive output. And I'm not really crazy about the way the Rockets play. They, you know, they've taken the traditional big man out of their lineup. Uh, I'm not crazy about that, but I tell you what, last night's game was really, really entertaining. I thought, you know, just it, it was playoff level offense, offensive execution, in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I definitely agree about that. And also, one thing I saw during one part of the game I saw is where an area where the Rockets were vulnerable was when Boban came into the game. And with the Rockets not having that big guy, Boban was able to get some baskets down low in the post. And then also, one thing I also noticed was the fact that when Houston was hitting their three-pointers and the Mavericks had their big lineup, and it looked like Dallas might have a chance to close out the game. But, you know, the Mavericks didn't box out off uh, Robert Covington. He ended up getting a tip-in off a missed free throw, and that's how that game got tied up. And then when it goes to overtime, anything is possible in overtime. And now let's talk about some games from today. So first we have the Pelicans and the Clippers. And my question is, do, do the Pelicans need to win this game tonight? Yes, they do. To stay within striking distance of Memphis and the Trailblazers, because you don't want to get, you don't want to come into a bubble situation and have a slow start. And, and, and then you start to get, you start to doubt yourself a little bit. And so I think that they need to get back on track. Um, Brandon Ingram has been outstanding. Uh, as he was in the first game. I think J.J. Redick had an outstanding game. Um, Drew Holiday is one of my favorite guards. So they they have the potential. They just have to put it together. And the Pelicans have the highest number of turnovers of any team in the league. And so it's a little tough when you're trying to close the gap on teams that are ahead of you, Hunter, and you can't take care of the basketball properly. That really comes back to bite you. And so I think that's one of the reasons the Pelicans really struggle is that they're one of the worst in the league at taking care of the basketball. Yeah, I definitely agree. And they mentioned that during the broadcast during the game on Thursday, and I noticed that. And also with a team like the Clippers, who is one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, you can't afford to have many turnovers against that team because the Clippers are really good at turning your mistakes into points. And you don't want to get too far behind against the Clippers because you get too far behind the Clippers, it's over. They, you know, they, they still don't have Lou Williams or Montrez Harrell. They still have Par George and Kawhi Leonard, and they have Patrick Beverly. They have Reggie Jackson who can score. They have Joe Kim Noah who can get you some baskets. And so the Clippers still, even without 
Lou Williams and Montres Harrell are still a really good team. And I think people need to remember that they still have other guys as well. Oh, no doubt. No, I, I, I think that they're very capable and, you know, they've got winning DNA. You mentioned the players that are, you know, that are available and uh, Montrez Harrell and uh, Lou Williams are very important cogs, but they have enough to still be very, very competitive. And I think that, uh, you know, the Clippers are in good shape, obviously for the playoffs where they, where they're positioned. Uh, these are more tune up for them to get things hitting on the right cylinder at the right time. And so I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, 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 I tell you what, Hunter, I just can't say enough about the NBA and their social awareness of how Black Lives Matter is paying on the court. You know, they kneel before the national anthem and then they come out and perform the way they've been performing. You know, the first two days of competition were outstanding. And this now this Denver-Miami game where Miami was up big, Denver's starting to make a run to close, and Denver's without Gary Harris, uh, uh, Jamal Murray, and uh, Will Barton, three of their really major guards. And so uh, if they could come back and win this game today against Miami, we'll give them a huge boost. But there's just so many great storylines going on right now at the restart. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And uh, if you guys want to know that score that game right now, the Heat have 103, the Nuggets 89, like seven minutes and 33 seconds left in that game. So with that amount of time, anything is possible. And, yes, sir. Uh, now, now let's move on to a, a different topic here with the Knicks hiring Tom Thibodeau as their new head coach. So what do you think about that? You know, I, I think that Tom Thibodeau is, is an accomplished coach, Hunter, but I would have liked to have seen a black coach get the opportunity uh, with the Knicks. I think that um, David West, former NBA player, was very critical of the, of the Knicks and the NBA and the fact that uh, Tom Thibodeau can get multiple opportunities to coach, but a Byron Scott, a Mark Jackson, uh, some – Black coaches that have maybe had one opportunity can't seem to get another opportunity. And so I, 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 I tend to be in agreement with that. Um, you know, and I know that coaches want to coach, but I don't know about you, Hunter, that, that organ, that Knicks organization, it's, uh, it's dysfunctional and it starts at the top with their owner, James Dolan. I, I think he's clueless. Uh, I don't, I, I don't think he's a very good human being. And so I, I, you know, I, I don't wish anything bad on top Thibodeau because I think he's a good coach. I just think there's a lot of other things going on around that franchise. And the fact that he got an, he got another look, his third or fourth opportunity, as opposed to like I, the, the aforementioned coaches not getting another look. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I definitely think Mark Jackson should have got some real consideration. He He's a really good coach. People don't forget that. People forget that Mark Jackson, I played, my opinion, played a really big role in helping get the Warriors to championship play. Even though he didn't win that championship with the Warriors, he still played a big part of that. He and, did. And he, he developed those guys. And I think that he deserves another chance. I think Byron Scott deserves another chance. 
hopefully uh, Ty Lue can get another chance. And so, but I definitely agree with you about the Knicks that the organization is just dysfunctional. It's messy. It's chaos. And it's not a good, that's not a recipe for success. And No, it's not. And one thing about Tom Thibodeau that you hear a lot about from his teams, especially with the Bulls, is with these young guys, you know he's going to work them, and they're going to have to play. He's going to be playing them a lot of minutes, some of these young guys. And so that will be interesting to see how they adjust to his system because one thing that we all know about Tom Thibodeau is he's definitely going to work you. Yes, and he's not he's not rookie-friendly either, and it was funny. LeVar Ball, LaMelo Ball's father, is kind of now getting back on the um, kind of media circuit, trying to draw up support for LaMelo, his youngest son, who's going to be in the draft. You know, he's trying to promote uh, LaMelo going to the Knicks. And the fact he said this before Thibodeau became the head coach. I wonder how he feels now because Tom Thibodeau really grinds down on rookies and doesn't give them a lot of confidence. So I think if LaMelo Ball does end up in New York, it would be a fascinating um, to see how that plays out. Yeah, that would be interesting because you know how LeVar Ball is. He does not – he speaks his mind, and he does not care if he offends you. He does not care about anything. All he cares about is himself his brand, and the family. And he will say anything at any time. I agree. I agree with you. And I, you know, I, I'm not mad about him being a, a, I think he's a tremendous father. I think it's obvious that he, he loves his children. Um, the way that he goes about helping them maybe can be, you know, somewhat, um, I can be a little critical of that. But I, you know what, anytime a, a black father is that involved in a black son's life? I'm all for it. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to see how it all plays out, though. I, one thing I do like uh, there are two hires that the Knicks made in their front office. One was Leon Rose, a longtime agent who's got tremendous contacts in the business, and the other is Worldwide West, who is a mythical figure in sports where he's a influencer, mover, shaker but no one really doesn't quite know what he does, right? So the Knicks hired him. I'm, I'm not sure in what official capacity, but he's a friend of mine. He's, he's, a, he's a legendary figure in the sports industry, and I thought the Knicks did a that was a, that was a smart, savvy move to bring him into the organization to try, try to change the public perception of, of their franchise. Okay, and then one final you, Stephen, about for today's podcast. We found out yesterday about back to Illinois. What are your thoughts on that? Hunter, great shot, to be honest. I thought he was gone. Um, and I guess he's hearing, maybe he's getting information that he needs to go back. Um, I know one of his quotes is that, he, you know, he wanted to win a national championship. And if there is a college season, Illinois will be, ooh, they may be top five preseason in the country because they've got one of the best big men. Uh, Cubello is a point guard from New York who is uh, one of the best point guards in the country. Uh, Illinois is going to be loaded. 
with Io DeSumo coming back. So I was a little shocked, but I'm obviously as a former line, I'm happy about that. What are your thoughts, Hunter? Um, I was shocked too. I thought after his that spectacular sophomore year he had, he led Illinois to I think like twenty one wins, over twenty wins. He had them. Um, they were tournament bound, and then all of a sudden, here came the coronavirus, and it just shut everything down. But you, you could tell that that Illinois team was different, and from Illinois teams in previous seasons, and I thought it also showed that Brad Underwood's culture is working, and that uh, Brad Underwood might be there for a while. I agree, Hunter. I, I think his culture is working. I think he's starting to be able to recruit players to the, his system and his style. Um, it's it, you know, and what I think a lot of people don't give uh, Underwood a lot of credit for. He really changed up the way he played uh, when Kofi Coburn, the, the talented seven footer, came in. Uh, they were really do, they did something a lot different defensively this year that allowed them to be much more competitive than what they did in uh, his early time, Underwood being in Illinois. And so that's a mark of a very, that's a mark of a smart coach and a coach that understands, okay, I have different personnel, so I have to change things up a little bit. And so the points that you make about his culture taking effect and whatnot, I agree with you. All right. Uh, Do you have any final words to say before we wrap up? No, other than that, I thought you did an excellent job hosting today. So, (laughs) good job, Hunter. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys have a great day and see you guys next time. Peace.